Welcome to the Our Savior Speaks podcast from Our Savior Episcopal Church, located at 4227 Columbia Road in Martinez, Georgia. Through this podcast, we'll be sharing messages of hope and encouragement that can be found in the life and lessons of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will also explore ways in which God can work through each of us to make our Lord's grace and love a reality for all of humanity. We have a special treat this week on the Our Savior Speaks podcast. The sermon is from the Right Reverend Frank Logue, who is the 11th Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Georgia. Bishop Logue will share about two important saints of the church who are the Reverend Florence Lee Tim Oy and Deaconess Anna Alexander. He will note the unique ways that these two saints carried out their ministries that may have seemed questionable to others. We will hear how he ties this observation to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and then he will encourage us all to live lives that reflect our devotion to God that may cause others to question our actions and possibly encourage them to join us in learning more about our Lord. Our Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. The psalm appointed is Psalm 111. We will also hear Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, and the gospel lesson according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. The word of the Lord. Let us chant together Psalm 111 found in your bulletin. Yeah. 
reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all are things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. The word of the Lord. gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory, Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What does a Christ-like life look like? What could you and I do that, well, that others would see as being like Jesus? Because truth be told, I can let myself off the hook a little too easy on being like Jesus. I mean, Jesus was fully human, of course. Um, So Jesus knew temptation. Jesus knew pain, like in the loss of his father, Joseph. Sometime between when he was young boy going into the temple with his family and when he began his ministry. Uh, But the part that makes it a little harder for me is that, well, I don't know, he healed the sick, raised the dead. Uh, And in our gospel reading for today, he commands uh, unclean spirits and they obey him, which is where I start to feel like I can get off the hook a little bit. Uh, That's why I'm fascinated with the lives of saints, because in the saints we find regular folks who are doing extraordinary things in a way that we look and say they could only do if God was working through them. And what gets accomplished is more than we would expect in terms of being like our Savior for, well, just a typical follower of Jesus. And I want to give you two examples kind of quick. I, I hope they're inspiring. They inspire me. This week in our church calendar, we remembered uh, the feast of Florence Lee Tem Oi. She was born in a fishing village on Hong Kong Island in 1907 at a time when baby boys were not valued there and that it would be possible for someone with an unwanted uh, baby girl to smother them at birth. And her parents wanted everybody to know Oh, she's wanted. We, this, is, this is our girl. And so her Christian parents named her Lee Temoy, and it means much beloved daughter. Much beloved daughter. In baptism, she would take on the name Florence uh, for Florence Nightingale, a heroic nurse who she admired. In time, she would graduate from theological college. She would be ordained a deacon sent by her bishop to a refugee community in Macau during the Second World War. And his dilemma was this, it was a very dangerous area and he couldn't get any priests to go there. And so first he licensed her to be able to give communion from reserved sacrament and then 80 years ago this week, he ordained her as a priest, the first in the Anglican communion, first woman in the Anglican communion, of which our Episcopal Church is part. A part. But, but the thing is, we really remember her less for her ordination and more for what followed. Because she did serve very faithfully during the war and after World War II ended and priests could get into the area she had been serving, she voluntarily set aside her priesthood to become a deacon again to not create division in the church. And her bishop asked her to go work in an area on the border of Vietnam. And then what happened was she began to work uh, again with um, young families, uh, particularly at t- creating an orphanage for girls. And in the process, she became declared an enemy of the state. At that time, she was sent to re-education camps that were designed to brainwash her, to get her to deny her faith in Jesus Christ. She remembers very vividly uh, being asked to take her vestments with scissors and cut them up into little bits so they could not be put back together again. She was prohibited from gathering with other Christians, not allowed to have time to pray but to work, and it was a very difficult 30 years meant to break her. And miraculously, on the other side of that time, there was a lightning and restrictions. At the same time, she had family who were in Canada. She went to live with them. 
there were women priests in Canada, and she then began to serve and would serve for another 13 years before her death. The thing is that we just look at that, her perseverance while exiled from other Christians, and we remember much beloved daughter. Now, that's a pretty high bar, <laughs> right? One more. Uh, here in the Diocese of Georgia, we named Deaconess Anna Alexander as the patron saint of our diocese when we had our last convention here in Augusta last year. Born to recently emancipated slaves. She was born in 1865, the youngest of 11. She, um, her family moved to the Pinnock area when they were given freedom, which was just really rough, rural, swampy land west of Brunswick, Georgia. And it was there that she really came to value education where her father taught her to read using the Bible and the Book of Common Prayer. She taught in public schools but really wanted to teach education as well. She went uh, to educate in that same way with religion as well. She went off to St. Paul's College, a historically black, black college and university in Virginia. She came back and she founded a church, she founded a school, she raised money for her students and for years and years from 1907 to 1947 she persisted in lifting up generations of African-American children in her area. She would find money for them to go to technical school or college. Uh, eventually she was given a car and she would literally drive them away, drop them at school to a life that was not possible for them before she had her school open. And so what I want to do is use these two lives, Mother Lee Tamoy and Deaconess Alexander. Um, you know, the thing is that both of them were first, but neither one of them is known as a saint because they were the first woman to be ordained or the first African-American deaconess. They were first because they were such highly unusual women that everybody looked at them and said, wow. Wow. I mean, for Deaconess Alexander, people in her own lifetime talked about her faith, love, goodness of life, joyousness, service to others for Christ's sake, and devotion. All these words used by priests who worked with her, bishops who supervised her, and they looked at the lives that she had transformed. But I tell them, because we've got a reading from Paul that's actually hard to read. He, he talks about stuff, and they're not issues we face anymore. Uh, he's talking about food sacrifice to idols, and I don't know about you, but this hasn't come up in my ministry yet. <laughs> but, but there's something that he's doing in it that Paul's always doing, and I think it actually matters. So I think if we get not what, he, the, not what he's talking about, but how he engages with it, I think that really matters. Because this, this problem that he's facing is really about how do I use the freedom that I have in Jesus? And what does that mean if I decide not to in some ways? The, the thing was, ancient Corinth really worked around temples. There were lots of temples there. And basically, your social life, community life, your chamber of commerce events, they were all held in temples where there would also be the, the, the food that you were eating, as Paul notes, was sacrificed to idols. It was considered to be more special because of that. And, and Paul's trying to say, look, those gods aren't real gods, and anything offered to them isn't more special because it was offered in the temple, but be careful because other people are going to see you doing this, and they'll start to decide that somehow this is okay, and yet they're still thinking of it as special because it was sacrificed to idols. And he said, this thing that doesn't matter to you could lead another uh, sister or brother in Christ astray. And so then that's what he's talking about. I'm free to do a lot of things, but I'm not free to trip somebody else up. 
So, so for a more contemporary example, think of this. You have a friend who goes into recovery. They're doing really well in, in uh, kicking an alcohol addiction that's been wrecking their lives, and you go out to eat with them. Well, sure, you're free to order beer or wine. But Paul would say, why don't you just not? Sure you can. It hasn't tripped you up, but it's tripping them up. Wouldn't it be better if you set aside what was best for you for their sake? to be able to build them up. That's the sort of thing that he talks about, that it doesn't matter so much whether you abstain from meat, but it matters so much how you treat your siblings in Christ and how your actions affect them. And so I think what he's doing there does matter. He's saying how we act, we should think about others and in, in, in how we do that. And I was reading a, a book recently by Michael Frost, a, a Christian writer who had this great phrase to me that's just stuck in my head. He said, Christians should live questionable lives. And he pointed to things like this in Paul, where somebody would go, hey, how come you're not eating with us anymore? You used to always eat here. And you say, well, this stuff doesn't matter to me. It's fine. It, it's not special because it's a, an offering. But I don't want anybody, I don't want to trip anybody up here. And they go, huh, that's funny. You know, like that. Questionable lives, a life that makes somebody else wonder, why are you acting like that? Paul writes about that all the time. He, he's really almost obsessed with the idea that we should live in a way so that other people start to say, this Jesus thing, this must have something to it. Because everybody I know who's gotten involved is different somehow. And the way they were different was that they were concerned for other people as, the, as they would be concerned for themselves. And so that's, that's what we see. And what I want to point out is what that looks like here at our Savior. So it is possible for somebody to look at your Facebook feed and say, Huh, I see you were part of a group that went down to Christchurch on December 30th and you all fed a bunch of people. I mean, you do know there's golf, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you do know that you could walk at uh, Finnessy Swamp Nature Park, right? You do know you could have just sat and read a book on Saturday, right? Why, why would you do something like that? And, and so that's the idea. The idea is that we live in such a way that, that people say, I, I'm not sure I'd make a choice like that. And the more you do it, the more people start to say, well, what, what's going on with this? And, and so Paul told his flock that I may be free to do many things, but I'm not free to lead other people astray, and I need to be free to help draw people into the love of God as found in Jesus. Because we've got people all around us, man. They are very concerned that... The basic message is, uh, I'm okay and you're okay, except I know I'm not okay, so I just assume everybody else is okay, <laughs> right? And the world's busy telling us that we are not enough, not tall enough, thin enough, smart enough, old enough, young enough, whatever it is enough, right? And, and the world's busy doing that in ways that are destructive to people. Folks have been raised wanting to, to, to be seen as something in the eyes of, of people they admire, not to find that. And they, they, they really, all this stuff can really just eat at you. And I find it, it beautiful in Mother Lee Tin Oi. I wish he, she had not set aside her priesthood, but she understood, I think, from the spirit that she needed to do that. She was free to serve as a priest, but decided not to. Deaconess Alexander earned herself a degree where she could have gone and taught in places that would have offered her more money and easier life, and yet she returned to her own just really poor rural community because she couldn't be free to live out yonder way if it meant that people from home were not being lifted up. That's what we're talking about.
Now, one caveat, and it matters a lot, is that loving others in this way should not lead you to be a doormat. There's always a possibility when we talk about putting others first that somehow it's going to cause somebody to forget that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love of yourself matters. That's part of it. If you, if you so push yourself aside that you're not, then, then you're deforming what God made you to be, right? So, so not, not exactly a doormat, but if we fully live into Jesus' teaching, we'll be looking out for others and looking out for ourselves. And the, the thing is, it just makes life better. Paul in this reading said that love builds up. He was comparing it to knowledge, which he said can be used to, for good or ill, but love, love, love has built up a lot here at our Savior. We read everywhere about people increasingly opting out of church, and yet here we see after pandemic had brought things down, the, the attendance in worship here is increasing, and the attendance online is continuing to increase so that more people are being touched by the gospel from this place in these years since the, the heart of the pandemic. And that's going against the trajectory of other churches. I want to point that out. And you all did it so well. I watched as you moved online readily, and then you improved it so that when you came back into worship, other people could still take part. It matters. And, and so you're seeing your... Uh, ministry increase at the same time you've done so much on your buildings to take care of this place that you've inherited it matters a lot a beautiful church to welcome people into a little bit more to go on inside this building to complete that work but it matters and then at the same time as you've taken on that big undertaking you've not stopped in ministry reaching out to this community in love, reaching out to the people who come into this church in love. And anyone can see what has happened through the leadership of not just your gifted rector, Al, or his gifted wife, Val, but through a really, uh, you know, you think of in sports as a deep bench, right? <laughs> lots of people doing lots of things, some of which you see, some of which you don't see, all of which is edifying, which means building up. Love builds up, Paul says, and that's what I see happening here. And so what I want to note is that when I was reading about questionable lives, I realized I'm coming to a church that has people living questionably enough. There's always room for more, right? But where people would say, why, why do they do all that? And look, the answer to any question I asked in the sermon, it's Jesus. <laughs> The reason they do that is because they know that the love of God is found in Jesus matters. That I'm not enough, you're not enough, and yet Jesus is enough. Amen.